Good morning. It's good to have this number out with us. We got a visitor back there in the back. Y'all didn't see him walk in. Uh, my nephew Josh, the one we've been praying so magnificently, is here with us this morning. Y'all all turn around. He's, he's a little shy, but that's all right. We love him anyway. He said he wanted to come hear me preach. I, and it's, what a wonderful surprise it is to see you with us this morning, Josh. <laughs> that's right. Merry Christmas to me. Double, double. That's, that's more than double Christmases for the whole family, for sure. But this morning, as, and like I said, uh, whenever we uh, finished up our Bible class this morning, we was going to hear that verse again. So again, open your Bibles back up with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And of course, we left off right there at verse 18. This, this is where the lesson comes from this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. For as a child of God, is going to yearn for something better. We're going to yearn for something more glorious than here upon this earth. For as we sing a song, this house is not my home, or this earth, this place that we have to abide, is not my home. We need to recognize that because there is something better. There is something eternal. For this time of place of death and destruction, this earth is passing away. For it's not going to be here forever. For as we are very well aware of that, for as we've had, we've had loved ones to come and go, we've seen friends pass away from this earth, many of whom we know have gone on to their reward. So let's think about that for just a second. How many of us are going to breathe our last upon this earth? Every one of us. We've all been blessed with life this morning. We've all been blessed with the health enough to come out and meet and assemble in this house of comfort to worship God. To hear his lesson taught, and to be encouraged from one another. When we think about yearning for, notice what's said in verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Now we had that discussion just a little bit about the things that are not seen. We cannot see heaven. We've been painted a picture. We've been shown through the scriptures of what it looks like. But we cannot lay our eyes upon it. It is invisible unto us. We see it through faith. We yearn for it. As we yearn for it, we're going to be that child of God that we should be, or we should. Now, keep in mind what sin does to us. We're going to get in, a, in the latter part of this lesson. But when, as a child of God, is going to yearn for something better, going to look for this place that we're going to discuss about, we do not look at the things which are seen. Keep in mind what, the, what Paul writes to the church in Corinth in chapter 4 in verse 1. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Right? The things of this earth, they're not going to save you. Actually, they very, they very well may condemn you. Remember Romans chapter 8. Right there in the first part of the very first verse of Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That says you have your mind and your eyes and your motivation set on Christ, set on heaven, God's ways, becoming that child of life that you should be. Keep in mind that's a choice. It's not automatic. There's a lot of good folks out there in the world who are going to be lost. They want, they, like, the, like we made the mention this morning, it was this close. This close to becoming a child of God. I'm holding my fingers. If you can't see it, of course, listen to this message. Just, I'm pinching my fingers. They're this close to becoming a child of God. But they're so far away from God, from the backside of one finger all the way around to the world to the other, that's how far away they are from God. Because they are not His. 
Remember what Christ is going to tell us on that day of judgment. Where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Where every person shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because that's in the next thought. So whenever we think about standing before God, not being a child of God, how scary is that? It's terrifying. It's terrifying to stand before God, not His, because Christ will tell you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. That terrifies me. That terrifies me to the degree of I want to remain faithful because we can lose our salvation. We're going to see that again this morning. We set our, th- set our minds on things above, not on these temporal things that we see. For the things which are seen, the rest of verse 18, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Last forever. Can you think of anything on this earth that lasts forever? It may have lasted one generation, two generations, three generations. It may have lasted that long. I want to take note of something, what the scriptures tell us about the elements and heat, about the day of Christ and his return. The things that remain will be burned up where the elements themselves will melt with that fervent heat. That fervent heat is a representation of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that furnace that was heated to an exceedingly amount of heat. And the men just putting them in, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, into that furnace, perished at just getting close to it. Well, if you remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they went into that furnace, and they looked into that fire, how many images did they see? They seen four, and one of them was in the likeness of the Son of God. Christ was in there protecting them. I don't know about y'all, but the hairs on the back of my neck stand up when I think about God protecting His children. His children. When we set our minds on things above, we look for, th- we look for those things which are eternal. Alright, so now with that next thought, turn with me over again. Just Maybe the same opening, mine's one page over. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Verse 9 and follow. Actually, to verse 11. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absence, to be well pleasing to Him. That Him is God, by the way. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. Every one of us is going to stand before God. Every one of us. Every body who has ever lived this earth, except for, of course, a small child, those infants that are needlessly destroyed. Y'all know where I stand on that. So we think about standing before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our life. A lot of folks in this world are going to be terrified. Terrified. How many of us like standing in front of people speaking? Standing before a folk, bunch of folks who we don't even know and speak to. Can't relate. We don't know where they stand. How difficult is it? It's difficult. A lot of folks, that's the number one thing that terrifies folks in the world. Standing before people and speaking publicly. You're right, Mark. It's difficult if you know them. Standing before folks and speaking to them. Now imagine standing before your adversary, God. Your adversary. 
Adversary? What's, why, why would God be my adversary? We're going to cover that in Hebrews. So we look here and we stand before God giving our, our account of things that we have done, whether good or bad. Well, let's look at the first half of good. Why would we have to give an account of things we have done that were good? You ever heard that term, well done, good and faithful servant? You ever heard that term, friend? That's what Christ called his disciples as he was preparing himself for his departure, or excuse me, preparing them for his departure, he called them friends. Why did he call them friends? Because he tells them why. He says, you know what I'm doing. A servant does not know what the master is doing. He calls him, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. For he, they knew what he was doing. Do we know what Christ did? Do we know what he is doing? I seriously hope so. A friend of Jesus Christ will. A friend of God standing before him on judgment day will have that casual conversation with his or her friend. How can I say that? A child of God. We made that example this morning. I was gave you a sneak peek on the lesson. How difficult is it to be a child of God? A lot of folks will it's impossible to be a child of God. It's not. It's impossible to live a sin-free life. That's what's impossible because all of us are sinners. A child of God is going to know their escape or their avenue or their forgiveness, their steps. You know what the steps are? Well, as a child of God, you're going to have Christ. You're going to be immersed for the remission of sins, allowing that access to God through Christ. Right? Because the blood of Christ gives us that access. Also cleanses us from that sin. Well, how do we get that cleansing? To repent of it, to stop doing it. To stop living that sinful life, setting your mind on things that are temporal, but things eternal. Ready, willing, and able to give that account of things that are good in your life that you have done. Right? There's your, there's your repentance to stop doing it. Confess those sins as a child of God yet again. And then pray to God that he will forgive you of that sin. And guess what? He forgives you of that sin. And that's an avenue of a child of God. So let me ask this question again. How difficult is it to live as a child of God? Now your mind goes, oh, it's not that hard. Yeah, because God knows that we're going to sin. God knows that we're going to stumble. He allows that escape. It's not impossible to be a child of God. Mankind puts that degree or folks put that hindrance or that stumbling block before them to say, well, I can't do that. It's impossible. I can't be perfect. Uh, none of us are perfect. Not one of us. Except for the person we can't see in the audience this morning. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. He walked this earth as a perfect person. Yet he left this earth as a perfect person. Alright, so we looked at the good. Right, now how about giving account that's bad? Going back to Matthew 7 and verse 23, that verse that I've been quoted, depart from me, your workers of iniquity, standing before your adversary. Like I said, we're going to cover that word in the next few minutes. How terrifying would that be? How terrifying would that be to stand before God, knowing that you're lost, knowing that you're outside of him, because an avenue of repentance is done. This is a judgment day. This is judgment day. We're talking in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
terrifying, huh? I'd much rather be standing in front of him as your friend, not his adversary. Verse 11, one more. Verse 11, now we're going to move on. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. Of course, again, he's writing to the, to the Corinthians there about their consciences. It's not talking about God or the Holy Spirit. But he is saying he's well known, well known to God, or those who are teaching are well known to God. Keep in mind with that known and not knowing, the opposite of. When I say that, I mean the opposite of not knowing is knowing. You might say, well, what are you talking about, Jeremy? As God knows us on Judgment Day, He will hear though you hear those wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Lord. In the absence of knowing, is not knowing. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. That's what Christ is going to tell you. That's, again, that's terrifying. So we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. No one is going to escape from it. But we all must give an account of the things we have done, whether good or bad, upon this earth. I said we was going to cover that adversary word, right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27. Mark Tomashaw is shaking his head. We cover that verse often. And we, 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 we quote it, but we don't really study it. Because it's kind of a no-brainer. When they say no-brainer, well, you don't have to think about it long. Let's look at the word adversary. As Chalmar very well knows, a granddaddy liked to play checkers. Nobody could beat him. Now, I've told you all that many times. Standing before granddaddy, he was our adversary in checkers, the person you're trying to beat. All right? How about God's adversary? You know who God's adversary is? Devil, Satan, the beast. He has many names. The dragon. He has many names. He has many faces. So as we turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, notice what the word, the fourth word, the fourth word in that verse, in verse 26, is sin. So what's sin? Let's, let's talk about sin for the next few seconds. I don't have many, much time to really elaborate on sin. Sin is doing anything that's displeasing in the eyes of God. That's all it is. I don't want to, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I don't want to lighten it. It's condemning. Sin in our lives separates us from God. It severs it. We're outside of His presence. We're looking for things yet going back to 2 Corinthians of... I just lost my train of thought there. Wait a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. Looking for things that are temporary. We're outside of the realm of eternal. So therefore, if you're the adversary of God with your sin in your life, you'll set your mind on things temporal. Not on things eternal. I'd much rather set my mind on things eternal that's going to last forever because that's where your soul's going to be. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What sacrifice are you talking about, the writer of Hebrews? Because the writer is assumed to be Paul, but we don't know. So therefore, what's he talking about? What's he talking about a sacrifice? 
it means or is talking about Christ's sacrifice upon that cross for your sins. We just made mention that Christ was perfect. He, was, he left this earth sin free. In a matter of speaking, he did. In a matter of speaking. Why would you say that? In a matter of speaking. Because he died a sinner's death. And he died wearing sin. Oh. He died wearing sin. He was sinless. He was obedient to his father all the way to the point of he breathed his last. As of course is our cornerstone, the things that we measure ourselves with. How can you say he died with sin? Because he died with your sins. He died with my sins. He died with the sins of all those who spit in his face unto this day, who are disobedient unto him. He died for their sins to be remitted. He was your sacrifice. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Whoa! Uh-oh. That sounds, that sounds bad. Does it not sound bad? Listen to it one more time. For if we sin willfully, if we do things that's displeasing in the eyes of God, knowing that it's displeasing and do it anyway, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, this for a child of God, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What is that saying? That says, if I know stealing is wrong and I continue to steal, Christ's sacrifice for the cross does not avail me one thing. That's exactly what that says. So in that scenario, our example, that person who knows to steal is wrong, steal no more. Steal no more. Go find labor. Go find something. Working with your hands so you can have something good to give to something to someone who has not in need of. So therefore, if we do things we say things. We think things. It's displeasing in the eyes of God, knowing very well that we shouldn't do it. Christ's sacrifice does not apply to you. Ouch. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Again, that's terrifying, is it not? Because we're going to see adversary in the very next verse. Verse 27. So if we do the things that displeasing the eyes of God, that sacrifice no longer is availed to us, knowing that it does not avail to us, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignations that will devour the adversaries. So it means to tell me if I'm outside of Christ, if I'm doing the things that displeasing the eyes of God, I'm an adversary of God? That's exactly what I'm telling you. I, I don't want to lie to it. I don't want to sugarcoat it. I want to prick it into your minds that what we do that's displeasing the eyes of God will condemn us as it has condemned so many who are unfaithful. <coughs> Again, it's terrifying. Terrifying. And he goes on uh, down in the writer of Hebrews. We're not going to have enough time to cover it all to get the rest of what I want to say about trampling the Son of God underfoot, counting His blood a common thing, insulting the Son of God. It's just like slapping him in the face. Remember whenever Christ was going to the cross? He had been scourged. Right? He had been Remember what a scourging is? It's being whipped by a whip with a little uh, lash at the end of it. It's like a little barb, little cut pieces of leather, and it just tears the flesh. Do you know when they usually stop? When they're scourging, when they see the lungs. The lungs are right there, right under the rib cage. They're right there behind it, right there in the back. That's when they stopped. 
They did that to our Lord and Savior because He was teaching the Word of God. He was teaching the kingdom of God. That's why they done it. That's why He went to the cross in that in that in the uh, context of there. But in all reality, He went for your sins. He endured that pain and suffering again for your sins. After that, he wasn't strong enough to bear his cross. He had to have help. And that pathway going to that cross, they were spitting in his face, slapping him in the face, mocking him to their Lord and Savior. To our Lord and Savior. So when we do the thing that's displeasing the eye of God, it's just like you're standing in front of him and going pow right across the cheek. Sound good? No, of course it doesn't sound good. You're condemning yourself. Why continue to abide in sin? Counting the blood of Jesus Christ a common thing. Why would we do that? Because listen to 2 Peter chapter 3 starting in verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Uh Uh-oh. This is judgment day. This is Christ's return. After those resurrected in the grave, gathered together in the clouds, and those who remain gathered together into the clouds, Christ takes those who are faithful home to the eternal heaven. Because there are three, by the way. The eternal heavens. You know what's left? Nothing absolutely nothing. The works, the heavens, it does say heavens, which the heavens, the two, the one that we breathe, then the stars in the sky, because keep in mind, go right back to, let me get my bookmark. Whenever we think of heavens, a lot of folks think there's just one. There isn't. There's three. Go back to uh, 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4 and verse 18, where we started this morning. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. I use an example of a telescope. Remember that? I use an example of a telescope. What can you see with a telescope? The planets, the stars, the moon. If it's not smart to look at the sun through a telescope, but you can probably see it for a second or two. The second heavens. We can see the sky. We can see the clouds, which is the third heavens. Because there are three. The third one is the eternal heaven. The one where the resting place for those who are faithful. When I say resting, we're going to get there right here in the next five minutes. So we think about the things that are seen, the things that are temporal, Those things will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now read verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what matter persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That question, why wouldn't you be faithful? Why wouldn't you be there in the resting place for those who are faithful. In that eternal place, that is heaven. Revelation. Boy, I almost put that S. Revelation chapter 21. 
<laughs> that's, a, that's a hard habit to break, y'all. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. And this is the one that everybody needs to keep into their minds. It needs to stay fresh to keep that desire of heaven. We need to keep that fresh into our minds. And the, the locks of men who are outside need to be aware as well. Because heaven and hell is, of course, two different places. Hell, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Anger, sadness. I can see that. But then verse 4 of Revelation chapter 21 says this. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The things that we envelop ourselves with. The things that we involve. When I say involve, we have sickness going on in our families. We have death going on in our families. Each and every one of us have pain and sufferings we have to endure in our everyday walks of life. There will no longer be any of that. There will no longer any, be any disobedience. No sin, no death, no destruction, no separation. That's hell. That's hell. I'd say it again, but you'd probably get tired of hearing it again. The place that we yearn for. The place that we desire for. God has given us instructions in which to follow. We know the things of this earth are going to be gone. Even those things that have been passed down through generations and centuries, those things are going to be gone. Your couch is going to be gone. Your jobs are going to be gone. Your money is going to be gone. You notice the, 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 uh, a pattern here? The things that separates us from God. Our couches, our jobs, our money. The lake is going to be gone. The things that separates us from God. Why would we not be obedient unto Him? Because He offers everlasting life. And a very, a very personal account, very, very close to home right now, which our visitor this morning, I'm going to use him as an example. Josh, you scared us. He scared us, y'all. He was, he was at the point. He was right there. It's scary. Each and every one of us are going to be there in a point of our life. We're going to in, endure that terrifying situation. And it broke our hearts. It broke our hearts. And to look at the active working and the prayer of those who are righteous. What does the scriptures tell us about the prayer of a righteous man availeth much? This is off topic, by the way. I just want to put this out there. Folks, prayer works. Prayer works. And many of y'all listening to this lesson have been praying for him and continue to do so. It's much appreciated. Folks, prayer goes a long way. And each and every one of us pray to God continuously. Or we should. So this morning's lesson has not been encouraged for those who are... Actually, it's been encouraged in both ways. If you're unfaithful, come to God. Give up the sins. Give up the world because those things are passing away. Those things are temporal. For the things God offers us is eternal, everlasting life. And if you're an erring child of God, come back to Him. For we don't want to be the adversary of God. We want to be the adversary of Satan if we're going to be the adversary of anybody. So why would we not come back to Him? For as I made mention earlier, actually twice this morning, it's not impossible to be a child of God. Yes, we're going to stumble. Yes, we're going to fall short. But we can come back. 
we can be restored. We can be lived like anew again by repentance, by confession, by prayer. Does that need to happen this morning? Are you outside of Christ? Wanting to come back to Him, being, having your sins washed away, putting Him on, having the access to God. Why wait? Come to Him. Answer that call, for the gospel calls many. Does that call need to be answered this morning through baptism, through repentance? Why don't we do so as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation?